Hi there, and welcome to a different way of seeing. Have you ever wondered how a disabled person lives their life? Join our host, Lois Drachen, as she chats to people about work, education, travel, sport, the arts, and leisure, and the tools and techniques they use to live their lives with the disability. And now, on with the show. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of A Different Way of Seeing, a podcast where we talk all matters related to disability. Today, we're talking about a number of subjects that are very close to my heart, including books, including empowerment, inclusive education. So I think we're in for quite a treat this episode. Our guest today is Mr. Siva Mudley. Siva, how are you today? Thank you for joining us on the podcast. Hello, Lois, and thank you for having me on this podcast. Well, I've been wanting to for a very, very long time. I've I've been learning about you, a little bit about your books and things like that. So I'm really glad that you were able to join us and, and speak to us today. My pleasure. Perhaps we could start off by just getting an overview of who you are and a little bit about your personal journey. Well, I think I should start at the beginning. I was born in Mount Edgecombe, in the north of Durban, in a little village. And this is described fully in my first novel, not my first book, but my first novel. And we were eight siblings, together with two parents, two of my parents, my mother and my father. My father worked in the nearby hotel, which is Sakharain Hotel, which has since changed its name to Mount Edgecombe Hotel. My father, my my mother was a housewife and sometimes worked as a domestic worker. Um, yeah, there were four sisters and four brothers um, in that family. We then moved to Peter Maritzburg sometime in 1978 when I was teaching at the Arthur Blacksaw School, which was then New Horizons School for the Blind in Peter Maritzburg. I then moved to Pretoria to take up a position at Optima College and later, within four years, I think, where I took up a position as the director within student affairs at UNISA. I think that is briefly my background. My Real background, vocational background, my working background is really in starting with telephony. I must, um, I think, mention this. This is important. After I qualified at the University of Durban Westville with a BA degree and a university higher diploma in education, I was unable to teach, not because I didn't want to, but because the policy at that time didn't allow any person with a disability to serve in the public service. Wow. That was public service policy. And you can imagine how frustrated and disappointed I was after being um, recommended 
by the principal of the school where I was doing my practice teaching, after being recommended by the lecturers at UDW that I should teach at a particular school, I was not allowed to do so simply because of the policy of the of the time. It seems so. Almost, I took yes. it, it. It seems almost unbelievable that mm. that would be the case. But yes, wow. Sorry, I interrupted you. Please continue. I then, in desperation, I then took on a position as a telephonist at Durban Club, very close to the Esplanade in Smith Street. And I used to work from five in the evening till 12 at night, Monday to Friday. And you can imagine the transport issues and things like that. I used to get a lift with my brother who worked at Engine uh, when he was on that particular shift. Uh, but otherwise, I would stay over uh, at that uh, Durban club. They allocated me a room. And then I would go home in the morning and then return in the afternoon ready for my next shift. I then took on a position as a public relations officer at the then KwaZulu-Natal Blind and Deaf Society. And that was only for about two years. And in 1977, I joined the uh, New Horizon School for the Blind, which has since been renamed uh, Arthur Blacksall School for the Blind. I taught English mainly and then was promoted to the head of the English department. Can you tell us a little about the school? School um, is situated in Mountain Rice, um, and it caters for learners from grade R right up to grade 12. And the subjects are similar to the subjects you would find in any regular school, except I think they offer physiology. And more recently, they've dropped maths the, the usual maths, the proper maths to maths literacy, and I'm not too sure why. We've been trying to get them to go back to offering maths, but um, I think the powers that be <laughs> are reluctant. Mm -hmm. So we haven't applied much pressure because we're out of the system, as it were. Yes. I believe it's, it's a similar situation at other schools for the visually impaired um, as, as well, that maths and science are less focused on than perhaps we, we might want them to be. Yes. Um, in February, March this year, and then again in April, I visited three schools in the Eastern Cape, and that was the situation. Not only that, they were reluctant to use, promote Braille. They were reluctant to allow children to use Braille textbooks. And I discovered to... To my dismay, that there were tons and tons of Braille books which the department had paid for. But these books were lying in the storeroom. And when I approached the principal, she said that the students didn't know how to read contracted Braille. I said, well, if they know Braille, take the next step. And that was really prompted by one student in grade 12. I was in that class observing. And as I was leaving, she asked me whether I could arrange for Braille textbooks uh, for the various learning areas. And I thought that was odd because I thought that would have been uh, a foregone conclusion that they would have had Braille books. And then I went to the Braille library, the Braille room, and then I spoke to 
a representative from the department and subsequently had a meeting with the principal. And that is how uh, they were releasing the books to the learners after that. That's quite a story. Mm. Wow. Mm. You mentioned that initially you were unable to become a teacher, but then subsequently you did teach at the Arthur Blacksell School. Yes. Your role in education has continued through your career. But apart from that, you've also written some books. You are also yes. an author and a, a writer. And you recently yes. published your third book called A Passion for Success. Tell us about the book. Um, I think this is my seventh book, actually. Oh, my third, word. Third, well, let's call it a novel series, uh, biographies, but two novels and then the biography and autobiography combined. But four English language textbooks before that, um, based on my experience as a head of the English department. And then I have um, an academic book and then various academic articles. Mm. Um, yeah, so th this is really my seventh book. Uh, this is really um, titled A Passion for Success. It stemmed from really the second book, which is If Those Walls Could See. Now, If Those Walls Could See is really talking about the school in its infancy and the antics that the learners got up to. But I bring in, uh, in three chapters before that, the history of that school going way back. And, and then uh, a chapter on the founder of that school, the Reverend Arthur Blacksaw. And then I go into the antics of the school and how this name changed from Arthur Blacksaw to New Horizon and then back again to Arthur Blacksaw. So after that, I approached a few of my contemporaries to find out, well, this is what uh, happened at that school. Where are those people now? Mm. Where are those students now? And so what had happened is I, I broached this with one or two uh, people, and then that spread. But many of them were reluctant to write not because they couldn't write, but they lacked the confidence to write. And so I had to encourage them. But eventually, despite all that, we had just a few, just a handful. And so I got people to suggest who else would come in, you know. So that is how the whole thing came about. And the passion for success, the title is really the passion that those who contributed the book have in, in being successful as people first, you know, not despite their blindness. It's a really interesting book because it is one that I've, I have read. I, I read a copy okay. from the Bookshare Library. Mm. I'm a, a yes. keen Bookshare reader. And it was interesting for me because I know some of the people who contributed to the book. Yes. And there are other people that I, don't yet know, yes. but after reading their stories, I really would like to meet them. Hmm. So who then, you, you've explained a little bit about how the, the, the book came about, 
Tell me about the actual writing and the creation process. What role did you play? What role did the the individual people play? How did it all come about? In many instances, I interviewed people who were reluctant to write, who, who thought they couldn't write and express themselves. So I interviewed them and put down their thoughts in writing in the various chapters. Others provided frameworks. So outline of um, where they were born, schooling, all those kinds of things. And I filled in the pieces after contacting them, you know, just to fill in the pieces. Yes. Others provided more extensive um, stories, which I then had to redact, you know, edit and so on, mm-hmm. and, and got that finally going. Yes. So then I put all that together, together with a forward. It's an interesting creative process because I think working with different people or contributing in different ways is very different from sitting down and writing on one's own as a process. How did you find that differed between your previous books and this book? This one. Well, in this one, I tried to capture the essence of the person you know, speak almost in the language that that person would use. And, you know, in some instances, uh, of course, the epigrams, the the quotations right at the beginning were selected to suit the individual. And the title also, um, for example, Zach, uh, whom you know, um, lived in Durban and Peter Maritzburg, and so we called it uh, a tale of two cities yes. and other things like that. And and there was a person, Dasipan Mudley, who had various names. And I thought, well, what what's in a name? You know, and so so various titles like that, based on the personalities of the individuals concerned. It's one of my my struggles is always finding titles and subjects and you know titles for speeches titles for books and things like that mm, so mm, mm. i i did enjoy those very much yes who would you say is your target reader your your audience for the book i think parents students blind and partially sighted people the general public, because that in a sense is, we're not talking about the zero to hero kind of situations here. And people who read those books can then learn the kind of challenges that blind people typically can face and how they would surmount those challenges. Um, Give them, you know, not the person who's climbed Mount Everest and done this and that, you know, just over a short period. These people have been working, studying and real challenges, real life issues and how they overcame those. It's it's interesting because as we discussed earlier, before we started recording, both you and I are readers of memoir. And it's interesting how so often people do enjoy the, as, as you say, the, the zero to hero, where so often the stories that most have an impact on the reader are the stories, the, the quieter stories, as, as it were, those yes. who talk about a person's struggle to overcome whatever obstacles and still persevere. 
and I, I enjoyed that about the the book that in each case there was the focus wasn't on as you say one moment of triumph but of a life of building on achievement mm-hmm. and and I did I enjoyed that very much in the book Now you you have mentioned your your other two the the other two books that you you call novels, yet yes. those are based very much on your own life. Yes. Would you consider them as fiction or as nonfiction? Where where would you place them in in genre? The second one is categorized pure nonfiction. The names haven't been changed. The places haven't been changed. The first one is nonfiction, except I've changed names, um, not the places, but the names, simply because many people have died and uh, we didn't know what the families would say when we included their names in those books. So I chose the safer course by changing the names of people. But truly nonfiction, the situation is what it was. Well, that's that's interesting to know. Thank you for for sharing that. Now, as a teacher and as a disability activist, you've been very involved about inclusive education in South Africa. Can you tell us a little bit more about the role, the the your 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 role in the inclusive education field? Yeah, I took an interest in uh, inclusive education, more inclusion, uh, more inclusive teaching and learning than inclusive education. I think the concept inclusive education in South Africa has really been muddied in a sense, because if you read the title of White Paper 6, it says White Paper 6 and Special Needs Education. And inclusive education is far more than just special needs education. It includes everybody. Mm-hmm. And so that confusion um, is still there today so that when people talk about inclusive education, they invariably talk about uh, people with disabilities. But I moved away from that, talking about inclusive teaching and learning. And even when I was a, a teacher at the school, I really um, made teachers aware of the importance of inclusive, inclusively teaching learners at that school. And when I went to uh, university, well, when I went to UNISA as the director within student affairs, I promoted that concept. And later when I became the lead researcher in the department of inclusive education at UNISA, you can understand that then that I had to develop material based on Uh, inclusive teaching and learning as well. You know, programs, uh, we had to write the programs. Yes, so, and then, of course, my research, my vote for my PhD and uh, subsequent research for other organizations, I had to focus on inclusive teaching and learning. In many instances, whenever I do presentations, although I vary it a lot, depending on the context, my focus is really, how do we consider all learners in a classroom and take their needs into consideration when planning a lesson, when delivering a lesson. And there's 
a concept called universal universal design for learning which talks about multiple modes of representation multiple modes of action and expression and multiple modes of engagement which simply means that we have to think creatively of how we present the lesson in a particular class what are what what are the modalities we would choose and methods and so on and then the action and expression would really focus on what opportunities do we provide learners for them to demonstrate what they know and what they can do with what they know in addition to the attitudes and values that accompany those and then the motivation in how do we motivate learners from the beginning of our lesson so that they are active participants in the teaching and learning process and then more recently this year i was requested by an organization to assist teachers in in promoting quality teaching and learning in three schools in the eastern cape and i I'm sure that uh, we will cover other schools as well. We're in the process of uh, working uh, on a strategy to uh, focus on one or two other schools uh, in the near future. In adult education, we often hear people talking about different learning styles, people who are um, visual learners or auditory learners, tactile learners. Would that kind of learning style conversation also feature into the inclusive teaching model? Yes, it would, uh, because very often uh, people pigeonhole blind people into thinking that we all read Braille or we all need to read Braille, um, and therefore Braille is the only medium, whereas blind people... um, like us, I think, you know, we'll go for whichever option is available at that time, which is the quickest, which is the most efficient. And very often we won't get Braille simply because of the availability at the time and sometimes affordability as well, because it's expensive. And uh, the turnaround time, you know, because if I go onto the internet, I can't get that printed in Braille. I can easily read that on my computer using speech output. So again, the auditory, listening, tactile, um, all those would work uh, in terms of learning styles for blind and partially sighted people as well. It's really interesting for me because as someone who became blind only as an adult, I did learn contracted Braille, but I've never really got into the habit of using Braille. Okay. And I, I find I am one of the people who, you know, I don't have a particularly good Braille reading speed. My facility with Braille is just not good. So for me, technology is a fantastic option. Yes, yes. But, you know, it's it's important to have the tools yes. that work yeah, for you, for each individual. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> and it is good that we have different options. Yeah. I use technology as well. I use Braille, whichever is available at that time, because I have a refreshable Braille display, note taker. Uh, When Braille is available, I do that. I uh, read electronic stuff a lot. So that's quick. Mm. (laughs) Yes. And I think the different options, as you say, there are different use cases for Mm. each. Yes. So it's, you know, I I know for myself as as a professional speaker, being able to access Braille, I'd be able to take notes up on stage with me because I find it very hard to be listening to a screen reader 
while yes. speaking. Oh, yes. So in that case, you know, I, I think Braille would be a, a very good option for me. So maybe one day I will yes. start practicing my Braille a little bit more. That's a strategy I use when I'm doing presentations as well. I use my refreshable Braille display, note taker, and then I would project using my computer. Um, you know, the PowerPoint presentation. Yes. I know when the next slide comes up because I've got it in Braille as well, slide seven, mm-hmm. slides eight, and so on. And and each slide, of course, you know, you, you run that through. And uh, I would read off the Braille display, uh, but the actual presentation would be on the screen, you know, for yes. the audience. Yes. But oh. what adds to it is that I can also listen to the voice output without I- affecting the audience, without them listening to it, because I have my Bluetooth earpiece. Of course. So unobtrusive, you know, in the background almost. <laughs> it is. And I think technology has certainly changed the way that most of us live our lives. Yes. So I think it's it's good that there is so many choices available for us. Mm. Seva, if people would like to find out a little bit more about you and your work or would like to reach out to you, where can they contact you? Uh, uh, my contact details would be email first, seva49mudley, with an E-L-E-Y. Sometimes it's uh, spelled L-Y. So it's seva49mudley at gmail.com. My cell number is 082 5781552 That's fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing those. I love hearing the the response to this final question. But what projects are in your future? In terms of writing, I'm doing my siblings book at the moment. My brothers and sisters, um there were eight that are now seven, and we started writing. Uh, I have five or six chapters in already, and uh, once the other chapters are in, I will start the editing process again and then publish that book. I have one more, uh, two more. Safura has asked me to assist her as a ghostwriter for her book. I did the first interview about two weeks ago, and then I am due to do another interview tomorrow. And then um, it would take one or two more interviews before I get the whole book together and then uh, write it out for her uh, as a, as her ghostwriter. Then the last one is I, I have a f- plot for a fiction, uh, a twist in the tale um, in that plot. And I want to do that after those two books are done. Then in terms of research, now I supervise PhD and master's students at uh, UNISA. So I've got three PhD students now because my master's students have graduated. So th- that is ongoing project because I have to supervise them, look at their chapters, look at their ethics clearance, all that until they graduate. Then I do research. And in this year alone, I completed three large research projects and one the last one was completed in june this year i do training um in various aspects uh, strat- strategies inclusive teaching and learning all those kinds of things i i do in terms of training and then lastly 
I'm looking at um, getting youngsters to actually creatively write. I'm mentoring one person now, a 20-year-old. Um, I met in Uppington, and uh, I'm mentoring her now so that she becomes a, a creative writer as well. She's interested in that field, and uh, we, we have begun the process. By and large, those are the, the, the major projects, although there are others as well. It sounds like you have enough on your plate to keep you busy oh, yes. for the foreseeable mm. future, mm. and yes. which is always good. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us on A Different Way of Seeing. It's been fascinating to learn a little more about your life and about your books. Thank you so much, Lois. If you enjoyed this episode of A Different Way of Seeing, please share it with a friend. It really does help to spread the news about the podcast. And if you'd like to read a chapter of one of my books about my guide dog, Fiji, you can download the first chapter for free at loisdrachen.com forward slash pause dash for dash thought. That's pause for thought with a dash in between each of the words. And I'll include the link to that in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to A Different Way of Seeing. We would love to connect with you. So find Lois at loisdrachen.com or Facebook, Lois Strachen Speaker. This podcast was edited by Craig Strachen using Hindenburg Pro. Hindenburg, it's all about the story. The credits are done at Naledi Media. Naledi Media, all your vocal needs under one roof. Read by Charlie Yasi. That's it for now. Thank you for joining us and see you next time when we bring you into the world of seeing differently.